Death by DVD's Monster Meltdown. A monstrous celebration of Halloween 2021. DVD. It's a statement. I think it's high time we sweep our way into the show. <laughs> this is Death by DVD. Welcome to Monster Month, our Halloween 2021 celebration, an entire month of monster movies. This episode brings us a deadly double feature filled with drugs and aliens. I am Hank the World's Greatest, and fresh from a nap after eating an entire turkey <laughs> stuffed full of heroin, it's I, Alexander Nash. Sometimes a man doesn't know what his cravings will bring. <coughs> Hello. I sure could use a hefty boy like you at my poultry farm. It's amazing to me. I think the most amazing thing was when you suggested this movie. I'm like, there's no way this is a 70s movie. No, it was 70s. I thought it was 60s straight up. But it is 1972. A little movie called Blood Freak. <laughs> the Great Blood Freak by Brad F. Grinter. Everybody knows Brad F. Grinter, right? We've heard the legendary horror director's name, Brad F. Grinter. No. It stars nobody. That's not true. It stars Zan. You know who Zan is, right? He's the Mexican Tarzan. Steve Hawks. The movie stars a gentleman named Steve Hawks, better known to me as Zan, because they couldn't license the name Tarzan. This guy, before making this movie, starred in a bunch of low-rate Tarzan movies in Mexico, which eventually led to him being burned with over 90% of his body. Terrific fun facts. Blood Freak. It's something for everybody. It, it really is. I think this is a, a family movie. Uh, it's about a guy, a biker. It's a godly movie. It is. I think this movie, it, it, it not only makes me want to accept Jesus Christ into my life, but it simultaneously makes me want to go out and shoot crack cocaine directly into my penis. It's a wild fucking ride. It's about a biker who ends up eating a turkey. And this is an experiment. It's not like he's doing this for fun or you can find these turkeys. That's loaded, filled with experimental drugs, and then he becomes a turkey monster. And I, this is the greatest So, oh, no, no, you ever. buried the lead, though. Before he eats the experimental turkey, he has become a marijuana junkie. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the really important thing on this episode because we're going to raise awareness of, of either doing more drugs or not doing drugs. I don't exactly know which. 
doing more. I say doing more. Sorry, I was doing drugs. Um, so yeah, Blood Freak <laughs> is, I, I think, I, I hate the term lost. I hate when people refer to lost movies because a lost movie means it doesn't fucking exist. A lost movie means there are no reels for people to show. Just because it's not widely known or spoken about does not mean it's lost. But I guess for all intents and purposes, you could say this is a lost movie. Its last big resurgence was in the early 2000s when Mike Vrainy, something weird video, released it out on, God, I think DVD, which is very expensive to find out, a collector's piece, I guess. And aside from that, you can find really terrible versions on YouTube. You can bootleg it. Not a hard movie to find, but oddly, it's not, it's very well-known, I would say, in underground horror circles, but it's not really talked about that much. On a serious note, it's taken uh, on a, it's taken as a parody, I think, and this movie is not a parody. It was made very seriously. It was made with very serious intent, and that's, that's something I love about it is when you watch this fucking movie, the people that were making it were legitimately trying to pass along a message. And there's a remake from 2020 by some guys named The Drunken Yinzers, Daniel Boyd and Tim Gross, and the movie follows more or less uh, of a parody. Still, I'll give them credit for creating a remake of Blood Freak. But the, the original movie itself, and I'm not, like, trying to even be condescending or making a joke here, Blood Freak needs to be taken fucking seriously. This movie's a goddamn work of art. Again, I'm not being sarcastic, nor am I being ironic. This movie's fucking beautiful. It is one of the craziest things I've ever seen, and that's in a good way. It's not like Human Centipede Part 3. It's not wild, boisterous shit. It's not trying to be crazy. It's earnest in what it was trying to do in the 70s. See, I first encountered this film I think I was reading, I can't remember exactly what book, it was just, it was like a video guide and they were talking about horror films and I'd never heard of Blood Freak before and the description of it immediately piqued my interest because it was talking about a junkie turning into a turkey monster to suck the blood out of other junkies to get its fix. And it really like just jarred my imagination and I like looked for years to try to track this movie down and eventually... Uh, I moved to an actual city and there was a really great indie um, kind of underground video store that just had everything, like literally a copy of everything your heart's desire. And I found Blood Freak, rented immediately and was immediately disappointed. <laughs> Not so much of like I, just because you build something up in your head for like so long. I didn't think it was going to be as cheap as it was, but that also like in retrospect is what makes it feel so much more special. Because one of the things that has always been great about this film to me is not so much the the turkey monster, all that stuff. It is the director commentary. And it's not a commentary track. This is before commentary tracks. This is the 1970s. The director is sitting in a wood paneled basement, chain smoking, reading a script and kind of being the voice of like reason throughout the, the, the story where he like he narrates and pops in. And it's just him sitting at this table in his basement just saying really weird philosophic dialogue. And there's a point to that because this film, I'm pretty sure, I don't have confirmation on this, but I'm pretty sure I remember hearing that it was funded by a church when they shot it in Florida. So it is a Christian gore film, which you don't get too many of. We live in a world coming to constant change. Every second of every minute, of every hour, changes take place. These changes are perhaps invisible to us because our level of awareness is limited. Take, for example, how the things we do and say to the people we meet. All these things affect our lives, influence our destiny. And yet there seems to be some kind of fantastic order to the whole thing. We never know how or when we will meet a person who will become a catalyst or who will lead us to one. What is a catalyst? Well, that's kind of a, I guess, a humorous factoid about researching or trying to look into this movie on a skin-deep level. I'm not saying I put weeks and weeks and weeks of research into this, but that's the only statement you can find, that it was funded by a church, not the church. I mean, that's presumably when they say the church, that's the Catholic church. Somebody funded this at some point, a church, we don't know what type. I I wonder about these people. We recently, well, not so much, 
a while back were talking about a George A. Romero picture that was funded by a church, and they were disgusted by it to the point that the movie wasn't seen for some 40 years until it was brought back into existence via Shudder. This, on the other hand, I, I would I need desperately more backstory to this, and we discussed at the beginning of the show, this was released on disc in the early 2000s. It does have an accompanying commentary track, so if you have that, maybe you'll be able to answer these questions. I would have loved to know what the release was like. I mean, if a church funded this, I'm going to assume it was shown for the first time to the congregation or the people involved, the producers, to to say the least. What did people think of this movie? Because it's it's not... I don't even want to say it's an abnormal movie, but it certainly isn't normal. It is definitely not normal. And I think we, we probably need to discuss a little bit about kind of the specifics of... Because it does have a very um, Jesus theme through it because as he's getting addicted to, to the marijuana, he... Um, is dating a girl whose sister is very Christian-y, and he just, he doesn't buy into that rap man. But as he delves deeper into being this junk and he eats this experimental turkey, an entire turkey, by the way, I mean, he's a beefy man, and he can eat an entire turkey. Yeah, you gotta imagine Tarzan high eating an entire turkey, because that's what this movie is. It's got Tarzan high as shit eating an entire turkey. And the lead-up to that scene, everything that you've been discussing, there's a great deal of drug use throughout the movie, but it's just like... It's this weird Saturday morning idea of what drug use is. It's like those commercials that used to air after school to keep you away from doing drugs. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's not how anything's done. They're just huge, over-the-top, rolled cigarettes. Everyone's got really He goes into withdrawals because he needs a marijuana cigarette. And that's one of the more dubious things about this movie. You know, he, he is brought to this party by Angel and then meets Angel's sister. And he kind of... He's kind of frosty to her and is 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 getting more into the teachings of the lord which annoys the sisters so she goes to the pusher man and he gives her this very special what is it like acapulco gold or i can't he re- says it's sprayed with something or i don't know what the fuck it's maybe it's pcp who knows well they give it some crazy weed name strain and he tells him man he can do this maybe six times but on the seventh time he's gonna be hooked oh so he can only do it six times okay and that's the understanding of this movie that you know you can do weed once or twice but if you do it more than six times you're gonna become a venomous fiend and that's our lead off into things and if that doesn't set you up for a wild ride even if you don't do drugs like if you're sitting there fucking smoking a bowl as this movie goes on it's it's all admit i heard from a friend a lot of fun to do it that way but even sober i think it's just like what the fuck am i getting into but you gotta take it seriously if you treat this like a parody if you treat this like a trauma movie i think it really fucks up the experience you've got to remember this was made completely earnestly, honestly, and their intention was to keep people from doing drugs. And if anything, this movie makes me want to do drugs I've never done before. I, I just want to go out and start doing new ones. I mean, fuck, why not? Well, I mean, after like he has his seizures after eating the turkey and he becomes the turkey monster, the turkey monster is a papier-mâché turkey head. It is a furry's wet dream. It's just kind of like a weird kind of mascot head. It's not very, it's got these big ping pong ball red eyes. And uh, he is a mute at that point and is just doing a whole bunch of uh, Doug Jones, like, you know, body acting. And he is quite terrible at it. And then he goes on the hunt for junkies because he needs their blood, of which he just kind of scoops up with his hand and push it, like, kind of splashes it all over his paper shaped turkey beak. So if you can't visualize this quite yet, you, you know you're missing out on something a little bit special. And when the director, Brad Grittner, pops back in to say his inane, ridiculous dialogue, and the dude, to explain it, kind of looks like a lounge lizard. He's got this kind of pencil-thin mustache. Um, at one point, he does have a coughing fit in the middle of his narration. It was never edited out. He just starts like coughing like crazy. <laughs> So when you eat or take into your body any chemical or drugs, you take a chance on reactions that are untested, unpredictable. There are government agencies, many responsible groups, fighting the use of chemicals. In the food we eat, the water we drink, and yet there are far too, <laughs> far too many of us who go right on taking the 
good way of life for granted. Ignoring the warnings. So, let's give a little thought to making our own story <coughs> have a happy ending. <coughs> this movie, oddly, is about the warnings and why you shouldn't be an addict, but you slowly and progressively watch this guy smoke a fucking pack of Pall Mall 100s in, like, 40 minutes and then go into a coughing fit. <laughs> I mean, it really even justifies its own means by the end of the movie. It's like, fuck, I, I should quit smoking. <laughs> this. Look at this prick over here. He can't even fucking talk anymore. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta quit smoking, as I say. Smoking a cigarette. And they were, like... And there is a very obvious comparison because it does look and feel like a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. And the lead character's name Herschel. is Herschel. So th there's a little bit of a hint right there that they knew what they were making, or at least they were trying to attempt was to make a, an H.G. Lewis film. And th they succeeded for the most part because out of all the H.G. Lewis ripoffs, this does feel like it could be a part of his uh, filmography almost. I mean, he's a little bit more professional than these guys. But at the same time, the vibe of the whole thing uh, feels very Herschel Gordon Lewis. And the blood, the gore effects, it's mostly just, you know, spraying arterial blood everywhere. Uh, there is a sweet uh, table saw leg chop scene that they uh, did a classy little magic trick on. You find an amputee, put a fake leg on him and cut it off. But, I mean, it works. It works for a cheap-ass movie like this. It's one of the more amazing facts of the movie, and I think it's one of the more ludicrous things that as you progressively go through this movie, it begins very silly. I mean, you've got this long montage of this guy, uh, Steve Hawks, playing Herschel on a motorcycle, and then it transitions into the party scene. No one is a professional actor. Not not by any means. The audio is terrible. You've got to lean in or turn the volume up all the way to actually hear what everyone's muttering and mumbling. And then finally you get to this proposition where it's like, well, Herschel... We have this opportunity for you to go work on the poultry farm. And if that wasn't weird enough that you go from this party scene to a turkey farm, he's approached by two scientists because there are scientists that work on turkey farms. I didn't know if you knew that, but it's a true fact. What do you think of um, the hairy scientist? What a great actor that guy was. The guy not in the glasses. Oh, yeah, the guy with the, the slicked back hair. His <laughs> delivery is, is Marlon Brando-esque, if anything. <laughs> I don't think there's a line in this film he doesn't flub, but let's leave it in. Oh, I got so much film. Leave it in. And there's a lot of delays. Like, this guy wasted some film. There's a good four or five seconds between other people's deliveries and then him going forward. But they give this guy, Herschel, the opportunity to eat, as, as Alexander Nash had brought up, an entire fucking drug turkey, which knocks him out. At this point in the movie... I, I can't stop watching it. It doesn't matter. Production value's out the fucking window. I don't care. Acting, I don't care about. Soundtrack, I don't care about. Even trying to explain this, I'm excited. Like, I want to go watch Blood Freak right now. This is one of the weirdest fucking things in the world. And there's not really, like... When you're watching a Fulci movie or an Argento movie or something like that, there's payoff. There's something beautiful. There's articulation, if it's the gore or the soundtrack or some of the acting or the performances. There's a lot of nuances and a lot of beautiful things in movies like that. This doesn't really offer anything in that manner. The payoff itself is a guy becomes a fucking paper mache turkey head, eats a bunch of junkies. This itself, I think, is a quintessential, not just 1970s, but when it comes to exploitation, psychotronic movies, B-movies in general, this is a, like, catalyst. This should be at the top of every horror nuts list to see something like this. It's really just an experience to withstand it, to, to watch this movie to the end and see this guy going into the coughing fit on top of the anti-drug message. And I swear to God, I mean, I have some straight-edge friends. I'll have to show them this movie and see what results I get. But I feel by the end of this movie, even if you don't do drugs, it really makes you want to. <laughs> you you just really want to start doing something. It's, it's weird. And, and the, like, the best possible sense of uh, the words it is a regional film and specifically a Florida regional film. And it feels like it because all the films made in this era in the Florida area all have this kind of vibe to them. And it's all indicative of that kind of time period. Even like children shouldn't play with dead things. Like they, they definitely have a very, I, I a sticky might be the more appropriate word, but to me almost tacky. Like this movie's a bit tacky and children shouldn't play with dead things. Definitely. I mean, it's about, 
digging up a dead body and parading it around for a prank. It's very, very tacky, but it has subtle nuances. It's terrible. I mean, I think Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things is actually a scary movie if you get over the comedy. Blood Freak's (laughs) intention was to be the exact same way. It was supposed to be taken as a dead, serious movie to scare people away from doing drugs. And while researching this, I learned a little bit about the guy that played Herschel, Steve Hawks, as I was saying at the beginning of the show. Before this and a little while after, he was the Mexican Tarzan. Um, I, I, I probably should have a list of the movies to quote you, but you can fucking Google it yourself. And a little while after this movie, they were filming a Zan movie out toward the Florida Keys, and the set burst into flames. There was a, a prop that was mishandled, and there was a tiger that was trained to release him. The whole crew flees. They leave him and somebody else to burn to death. And it's this whole big elaborate scene where he's tied down and has to escape, and one of his tigers helps him get out. Fucking tiger saves him. Unties him, he unties the other person. His body is burned 90%. It's a terrible situation. And from that point on, he decided to dedicate his entire life to saving not just that cat, but big game cats. He started a massive reserve. He's the Tiger King before the Tiger King. Started a huge reserve out in Florida. Unfortunately, in the mid-2000s, one of his big game cats had escaped and as he believed and it really seems like when you read it was murdered by local deputies and then he passed away in 2019 but it seems after this he made this really bizarre movie which he was asked several times in life what he thought about blood freak and he would state it's a very dark period of my life i don't like to talk about he got burned horribly but really it's it's I think maybe the most rewarding thing of watching Blood Freak for the first time in a few years was learning the story. Guy just became a massive cat lover and took care of, it seems especially people that took, like, bringing up the Tiger King, people that had big game cats that couldn't take care of them, he would take them into his charge and condition and take care of them. So humbling, nice, weird fact about a killer turkey movie where junkies are ravenously killed for their blood. Frankenstein's Creature Feature Show. (laughs) I'm here to tell you that the ghoulish death by DVD double feature that you've been listening to will continue shortly after a brief commercial break. With Halloween right around the corner, take some advice from the doc. Eat around the razor blade! turkey done? It smells great. It sure is. I had to get up at 3 a.m. to start cooking, but it sure seems to smell like it was worth it. Yeah. Remember last year? We didn't even get to try the turkey because of Cousin Jesse. 
I really thought rehab would have helped him, but he seems worse now than ever. Well, we won't have to worry about that this year. Really? Yes, I made a Turkinol just for Cousin Jesse. Wait, what? Isn't that where they stuff a turkey with a duck and a chicken? No, silly. Turkinol, it's the turkey that will save the holidays. Turkinol! <laughs> the turkey that saved the holidays. Nearly everyone knows a person suffering from the opioid epidemic. And boy, howdy doesn't nothing ruin the holidays more than a cousin, uncle, brother, sister, significant other, or child whacked out on crack, smack, whack, puff, spun, wazoos, whackers, wigglers, Sacagawea gold, the old giggle sticks. Now, you can have that silly cousin Jesse nodding off on the couch with Uncle Dan, but it won't be the tryptophan that's got Jesse down for the count. It's tranquilizers. Sweet, sweet tranquilizers. Tons and tons of tranquilizers. Each Turkinol is stuffed full of the very same tranquilizers Hollywood doctors use on Mel Gibson when he becomes enraged over women being able to vote and people of color. Talk to your healthcare provider today about a prescription for Turkinol and save the holidays. Wow. Tranquilizers, huh? I wouldn't mind a little piece of that myself. Oh, you. I seriously hope, though, your, your cousin Jesse doesn't overdose in the bathroom again. The kids aren't okay, they're, they're really upset about it, they don't- I still don't know what to tell them, it's been a year. And, uh, while we're on the subject, I don't like Uncle Dave being alone with the little girls. I, you know, there's- everyone in the family says something about him and rumors like that, they, they just don't start, and I just don't think he needs to be around them on the holidays. It's just one of those things, you know? Turkinol, new from Deathco. Yeah, and it does have that. I mean, it is 1972, but as like most eras, like it didn't become the 1980s till like 1982, 1983, 1984, somewhere in there. So like how 1980 is very much still kind of the 70s. 1972 is very much still the 60s because the music is very 60s. It's go-go dancer. The women are all wearing wigs, that kind of thing, where it's God with some of the lingo, the daddios. Not so much in this movie, but you know what I mean. Just the, uh, the, the, the style of slang at the era. It's still very 1960s. So to find out it's a 1970s movie is very confusing for me because it just it has always felt very 1965 to me. Yeah, it's not even so much like the late 60s. It's not even hippie lingo. It's 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 like beatnik lingo, and I think that adds to the writers and and Brad F. Grinter and Stephen Hawks is credited as a writer and director for this film too. I think it's the outside looking in. It's the what you would call more square culture giving their idea of what hippies and hippie parties would be like. And it even is more telling that none of the lingo is really correct. Nobody says groovy or rad or that's hip or anything like that. It's all very antiquated even at that time period. And that really does additionally make watching the movie because it's this weird idea of what the outside culture looking in has on, well, this is what happens. These guys get together and they smoke a bunch of weed and they drink each other's blood. That's that's how things are connected. That's what fucking stoners do. And most parties are just a bunch of people getting stoned. I wouldn't even call it a party. I mean, the, the whole party sequence is a bunch of fucking hippies sitting around on couches smoking weed. That's just a Tuesday, man. Like, there's nothing special going on. After he's fully addicted to the Mary Jane, he um, gets home. And he's sitting there on the couch and he's just like seizing out and shaking. Uh, she calls in the dealer guy, hands him a joint, and he sits there like ravishly trying to hit it. And she's like, baby, baby, let me light it first. And he won't let her, he won't let her actually light the end of it so he can smoke it. But once he does smoke, like gets one hit in, everything's good, everything's calm until the dude says, well, that first hit was free. And then he attacks him and says, you're going to be my supplier from now on. You got it, buddy? And it's just this whole kind of very aggro sense of uh, 
what marijuana does to you because I've never seen somebody uh, have such a such an anger fit when smoking a joint. But you know, I guess I guess it happens when you're fiending for it. You know, after you take your six hits, see that's the problem. You've not had more than six marijuanas. You've only had like four or five. If you go past six, I'm spacing them out. Yeah, you got to hold I, off. I take one tiny hit, and I've been doing it for like thirty years. I'm on my fifth joint. Yeah, see, I've I've gone over the level, and I drink the blood of junkies because I've had seven marijuanas. And it's it's that's the point of the fucking movie, though. That's how ludicrous the nature is. Is that it's you got to space it out. You're gonna do this weed, and you're gonna get addicted to it. And like, this isn't a debate over if you can get mentally addicted to weed or not. You can get mentally addicted to jerking off. That's that's such a poor debate. You can still get addicted to it. No, it doesn't make you kill people and drink their blood. Weed doesn't make that happen. But but and that's what I mean. That's kind of a misnomer, Hank, though, because it might make you drink blood if you ate the experimental turkey meat. That's, That's what, what leads causes to, it. to start blood drinking. Which makes you wonder, like, what was the point of the fucking movie? It starts off as this bizarre anti-drug PSA, but how many people actively... I, I have done a lot of things in my life, but I have never encountered a drugged turkey. And how many people are out there that are getting that offer? So the movie's warning itself is fucking insane. Don't smoke weed, but also, if anyone ever offers you any form of poultry that has been experimented on, don't do that either. What the fuck was happening in Florida in the early 70s? <laughs> 70s. Just literally go, hey, we've been experimenting this turkey and we'll pay you a little bit of money. We'll get you some of uh, the weed if you uh, if you eat this turkey, if you eat the entire turkey. And he's just like, I don't give a fuck. Let me at that turkey. And like he knows it's all fucked up and he still eats it because that's the power of the marijuana. Yeah, he's got to get his fix. But they're incredibly vague. Like, is is there any form of, of them telling us what they're experimenting on? Like, why is there a science lab at this poultry farm? What the fuck? I'm is assuming it's the end world hunger or some bullshit, or maybe it's to make a turkey addictive. I don't know. I mean, it's a Florida movie, so there's a lot of questions that can't be answered. If you've ever been near or around Florida, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens there. And that really is part of the charm of, of this. And I, I brought up Bob Clark and Alan Ormsby's Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. This and that would be a great double feature. Unfortunately, it's not the double feature we're doing on this episode. But if you watch Blood Freak, I think... Honestly, do it in reverse. You should watch Find Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things and then watch Blood Freak as the accompanying second feature because you go through the first movie and get a little loose, smoke a little weed if that's your thing, you know, drink or shoot drugs into your dick like I said earlier, whatever. You know, I'm not here to judge, but I think... Shoot drugs into your turkey and then eat the turkey. Poultry drugs, it's the way to do things. But if you can get a little loose and relax with uh, with the Bob Clark picture and then move into Blood Freak, I think that's one hell of a night. That would be a really fun experience. And even more so, this is a great movie to show friends. And especially friends that you're doing drugs with. Uh, <laughs> if you got a bunch of people in your basement and you're smoking some weed, show them Blood Freak. <laughs> and if you're like a responsible adult and you've got a bunch of people over and you're smoking in your living room, Show the blood freak, regardless. Blood freak for everyone. There are no limits to this movie. It's just one of those things that is is so ridiculous. It's so over the top. It is a pure definition of psychotronic, but it's oddly pure. Everything, and it's it's just literally the intent that was put into the movie that makes it, I think, so enjoyable. And I've repeated myself several times. It's just the goddamn fact that these people were taking this so seriously, this was The Godfather, this was fucking Jaws, this was Star Wars, this was a dead serious project, this was something that we're going to make it with, we are putting everything into, and they put their all, they put everything into a fucking giant turkey movie, it's not even a giant turkey, it's a paper mache turkey movie, <laughs> I mean, ooh, blood freak, you're so wrong, but why do you feel so right? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's an experience. Blood freak is something that I think every horror fan needs to experience. And then after you see the movie, go find the Necrophagia song, Blood Freak. That'll really be the perfect accompanying piece. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this is a double feature. We're doubling up. Remember, this is Monster Month, and we're doing it throughout the ages. We began in the 1950s with Creature from the Black Lagoon. On the last episode, we had... Oh, sweet, sweet green slime from 1968. We began the episode with Blood Freak 1972, so that means it's time to move on to the 1980s. Alexander Nash picked this one, and I'll be completely honest, 
I guess I'd seen bits and pieces of this movie, but I don't think I've ever actually watched the entire film. <laughs> I, I When I sat down and watched it the other night, there was just so much that was new to me. I, I distinctly remember that there was a scene with two characters at like a huge console, and I don't want to give away the title yet, but these two characters were all that I remembered from the movie, and I, I guess I hadn't seen this. And it's a remake. Uh, the original film came out in 1953, Talking about Invaders from Mars, 1986. Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars. Yeah, my favorite thing, uh, I'll have to tell the story every time I talk about Toby Hooper. A few years ago, I had a procedure done, and they put me under with anesthesia. And when I came back, uh, the night beforehand, I had been watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, no surprise. I, I was convinced I was in a parked car and just was yelling Toby Hooper. Just, uh, like, like very exasperatingly loud, violently just yelling, Toby Hooper! Toby! Toby Hooper! And my mom was there, the nurses had to step in, and it was like, I, I had no, I just started coming out of the anesthesia. I had no idea what I was doing. I was surprised, I was really shocked that everyone was just staring at me. But if that says anything to my level of adoration for Toby Hooper... I was really surprised. I sat through this. I don't... I'm sh I, I remember scenes from the movie, but I don't think I've seen this probably since childhood if I actually have seen it in, in, in its entirety. And all of that talk and all that love about Toby Hooper, I don't... I don't... I, I, I'm not... We're not going to argue, but I don't know if I like this as much as I like the 1953, the original film. Well... There's a reason for that, Hank, because I'm not a huge fan of this movie either. I don't think it's great. Oh, but I do think surprise. it has moments. This is not something I'm going to gush over and go, oh, my God, it's so good, because it does have many, many flaws. What I respect about it is, I mean, and the story, the original story of how it got made was Toby Hooper is working for Canon at this point, and he was in the, the middle of doing um, Life Force. And they were sweet, like, sweet hey, Toby, what else would you uh, would you want to do? Like, do you have a movie that you like? This is Golan Globe. It's probably Golan actually asking him this. And he's like, I always loved Invaders from Mars. So they went and got the rights to Invaders from Mars for Toby Hooper to remake. So, and they basically gave him, you know, carte blanche to do whatever he wanted to. And Toby ended up spending a shit ton of money on making this film. And this is another reason that Canon really had troubles in the 80s because they had a lot of bombs because Invaders from Mars was a bomb. It did not make... Uh, it's money back at all, not even close. What I do respect about this movie is the special effects are amazing. I love the alien designs. I love the the set design, the alien set design by William Stout. And Sam Winston did the uh, the aliens. He designed the aliens and the special effects. Uh, what I don't particularly like about this film is Toby Hooper, when he wanted to remake this, wanted to make basically the same movie again. And he didn't really even want to update it too much to the 80s. He just kind of wanted to remake Invaders from Mars. And the big issue I have with it is there's a certain 1950s feel throughout the movie that really hampers it. And this is like a personal opinion of mine. This isn't like just like, ah, fuck this. It's just like this is what I personally just it gives me a, like it rubs me the wrong way. And it's just. The um the little boy, because it does mostly concern this little boy who sees aliens landing in his backyard and no one believes him and people are getting basically body snatched and, you know, turning into vessels for the aliens to control. And that's one of my big flaws with this movie, because they got Hunter Carson, Karen Black, who's in this film as well, her son and Kit Carson's son. He's not a great actor. He was great in Paris, Texas. He is not great in this film. He's it's so G Willikers. That's my issue with it. It's so still 1950s. The dialogue is very 1950s. It's it just feels off. That's one of the funny things with me about this. Um, we, we were texting about the original film a couple days ago before recording this episode. And you had said that you don't particularly care for the 1950s film because it's so, you know, G Willikers, so golly ish. So very 1950s. And I watched the 50s film, and I enjoyed it for what it was. I loved the monstrous effects. Well, at least, it, at least that fits with that era. But when you transport that and remake it in the 80s, it does not fit in the 80s. And, and that really ends up being the problem with Invaders from Mars, because it, it feels like an 80s movie, but the directive and the attitude of this kid is just like, okay, so you're trying to paint this overtly 1950s picture, but at the same time you're giving me a very 1980s atmosphere, and it's not even like mix signals they just don't mix very well and speaking of the kid i mean in paris texas i think what really worked is he needed a, a, the, the performance had to be vague it, it is a child that 
doesn't even really know their life. They don't know anything because they're not even they, they don't know their parents. They're they've not even gotten to an age of questioning things and they already have an infinite amount of questions and it's a very hopeless character. And then in this performance it's kind of like and I couldn't help but feeling it the entire time watching it of like all right you're on a different movie kid no <laughs> you got to stop the long staring and they do these obnoxious close-ups that I know we're supposed to be feeling things and dealing with everything from this kid's angle but Hooper would do these big close-ups of him and there would be there's a scene with uh, Karen Black James Karen a few other military people they're out on this hill they're getting ready to invade the spaceship from the invaders from Mars and they just keep like a, like a soap opera, pulling in and doing these close-ups on the kid's face from side angles and stuff like that, and he's completely emotionless. He doesn't blink, he doesn't he's look. He's very slack-jawed. His mouth is kind of always he's half like open. Fucking and Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the big. Lambs. And I don't want to like turn this into a pile-on on his performance, but he and I, I mean, the kid's starter. older than both of us, I think, at this point now, so I mean, I'm sure he could he could fight us if it had to come down to it. But, I mean, and, and it's it's... it's the kid doesn't ruin the movie. There's no problems with it. It's just completely agreeing with, with your sentiment and what you're going for. This is an 80s movie, and it has an 80s feel, and we're in a certain culture and society, and the entire performance from the kid, like his family, his mom doesn't really seem to do it. Uh, his, God, who played his mom? Lorraine um, Newman. Yeah, Lorraine fucking Newman. The great Lorraine Newman plays the mom. Tim Bottoms, Timothy Bottoms plays the father. They're really great parents. The the little bit you get to see at the beginning of the movie is really heartwarming. They're really wonderful parents, and it has a very wholesome 1986 feel. It feels like that. And then you've got the kid, Hunter Carson, the entire time, and it's so off-putting to me. It's I, I end up enjoying the 1953 Invaders from Mars because at least the placement of the Jolly G. Williker sentiment is well put. And you move into this very fast-paced, military-esque situation. You got Karen, James Karen playing this general, General Clement Wilson. And it turns, to me, so much into like a, a radio serial. It turns into like and, your... Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there because that's where the movie really starts losing it for me. Because at the beginning, I think it does pretty well with like the paranoia aspect. The introduction of like all the weird things like these um, glowing bolts that go in people's necks so they can get controlled by the aliens. And then you get to see the aliens uh, and their ship. Uh, then you see Louise Fletcher eat a frog. I mean, there are some amazing visuals at the beginning of the movie that's like every kid's worst nightmare. My teachers have been replaced by aliens. I saw my teacher that hates me eating a frog. And you've got the stuff that's like directly playing on your emotions. And then... Like the drums start up. Hey there, it's me, Jimbo Biggs, host of The Last Movie Theater over on the Shiver Network. I'm here to tell you that Death by DVD will return after a quick commercial break. Did I ever tell y'all the one about two blondes living in Oklahoma? Well, there's these two blondes, you see, living in Oklahoma, and they're sitting on a bench talking. One blonde says to the other, Which do you think is farther away, Florida or the moon? The other blonde turns and says, Hello, can you see the moon from here? Oh. I'm Jimbo Biggs, and never forget the three G's. Girls, gores, and gasps. The movie theater will never die. from Governor William E. Stroker. 
Hello, America. I'm Governor William E. Stroker. If I could, I would like a moment of your time. I'm a proud American. I'm a man who is in love with America. And there is no shame in a man loving his country. I've been an American my whole life. Since my grandparents fled their homeland and lived here for 27 years without citizenship after being accused of religious extremism, by many years of proudly serving the United States and any town USA has taught me one thing. We must fear and hate the unknown. NASA has informed us that an extraterrestrial species has attempted to make contact with the United States of America. I've seen this happen before, and I'm here to tell you, America, this is not what will make us great again. First, it starts with the thugs coming over here, and it begins with a penny or two missing, then all the copper in your house, then your wife wants to start her own bank account. These thugs will steal your job and every penny you I, Senator Will E. Stroker, have created a solution to this alien thug problem. America's borders are not protected from illegal aliens, and with high-tech cloaking devices and energy-absorbing technology, we can never truly feel safe from the illegal space alien threat unless we build a wall around the world. Now, scientists have said it's impossible. They have said it will destroy life as we know it. But as an American, a proud American man, I know it's illegal aliens from space, green ones, that will destroy our world. Next Tuesday, Proposition 69 goes up for vote, and I want you, a proud American like me, to vote yes on 69. Yes on the world wall. First, they'll come for our copper. Then they'll come for our women. Then your jobs. Do what's right. I mean right, do what's right. Do what's right. Vote yes on 69. You tell them that Willie Stroker sent you and you don't want a green man in America. And that's where I like get lost because then it becomes every 1950s sci-fi movie where it's just like, da-da-da-da, America. And it turns into this like military procedural, and I'm like, I'm getting less interested now. If you'd taken the military aspect out of it and it was just um, the child like using his wits to kind of outwit the aliens eventually, I could probably like get through it a lot easier. It's just when you introduce that military aspect, it just turns really goofy. I mean, really bringing that aspect up, that idea itself, would have been such a mesmerizing and fun movie, not just for children, but adults to go back and remember being a child. What if I was six years old and had to save the world from an alien invasion? And Hunter Carson it, it is a powerful per performing actor, especially as a child and youth and teen. There is a lot of great that... I, I mean, I, Paris, Texas is probably my favorite movie of all time. So Yeah, you want to hear some trivia? He was the original Bud Bundy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I think he just did the pilot and then they recast. That would have been great. That would have been. I mean, I, I love what we have with Married with Children, but that would have been completely wild. It would have been completely different show. I, I, I mean, I, and I don't think, though, any of my complaints are really Hunter Carson as much as, unfortunately, it, it probably has to come down to Toby Hooper because he had a direct. It's the script because the script gave him a bunch of 1950 lines and he delivered them in a 1950s style. And I think that's where it all just kind of starts falling apart for me. I mean, I know some of that has to be direction from somebody and it, it, there's no point in putting the blame on anything because regardless, despite of anything we've said, it's still a really enjoyable movie and you were bringing up the stand Winston effects and the the marvelous monsters and uh, one of the issues is kind of a Joe Bob thing here. Joe Bob had, did Phantasm for Christmas, not really a Christmas movie. Just did the Angel, the first Angel movie out of what four? Are there five or four of them? 
think there's just four. I think there's just four. Did the first Angel movie, not necessarily a Halloween. Well, we started a, this double feature with a turkey movie that's obviously better fit for Thanksgiving. And now we've got an alien movie. And it's that's the border, because in the original film, it's not really an alien. Uh, I don't know if it's stated in the 1986 movie, but the whole creature is supposed to be an evolved human being. So it's much more Star Trek based, even going back into the 1953 here. But what the Marvel is, is the effects. I think getting past the... Uh, the acting, the performances, the, the I'm just going to say bad writing. This isn't really for Christ's sakes. The kid collects fucking pennies. That is not something a kid did in the 1980s. Yeah, it, it really is, is more of a kitschy. Remember this, but it's to an audience of people that don't really remember that because they weren't there in the 50s to see it. So you don't effectively really get anything out of it. But besides all of that, you still have a really fun monster movie. You when it gets into the overpaced military stuff, you have some like crazy dialogue like James Karen at one point says something to the effects of like don't worry David the United States Marine Corps is not above killing Martians just <laughs> stuff that's that's made for adults and is very punny and I, I get some humor out of it I have enjoyment out of it but the movie goes from as you were explaining this this very mysterious whodunit thing where you can kind of relive your childhood and have some ideas and fantasies of what if my teacher was an alien and things like that and then all of a sudden we're underground. We have a great deal of effects and it all looks cool, but it doesn't seem like there's any frosting with our cake. Like we, we have a great product here, but it doesn't go down so well. And you, it ends the same way. And both of these movies that we're discussing, funnily enough, end as if it was all a dream. Or was it? And in this scenario with the original film also, both of them end as a dream sequence and the UFO lands again. And there's so much that we could play with. There's so many innocent factors of this movie that I think would have benefited exploring more than turning it into uh, an atypical 1950s, 1960s, over-adventurous action sequence. Well, like, okay, do you know uh, at the end of Dawn of the Dead when Peter decides not to kill himself and that music strikes up? I keep expecting that exact piece of music to pop up once the military comes in and invaders from Mars, where it's just this like fucking crazy like football, you know, like da 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 da. And I just think it's unnecessary to the because it, it's so much a movie about paranoia to start with, and so much about everyone's out to get this kid. It has a lot of great visuals in that, and then it just becomes too hopeful. Um, and just it starts to really get goofy, frankly. And I don't think if, if it would have held itself to like more of a horrific standard in keeping with that paranoia at the beginning, I think it would have been much more served. But just when you get to that military aspect, it just it just turns like really fucking bizarre. Um, although a lot of the alien stuff after this point is still pretty interesting to watch. A lot of the visuals are really good. Um, I mean, you can easily figure out how the, uh, the drone aliens, uh, were made because it's literally dudes in rubber suits who are like walking backwards, basically. <laughs> you got Bud Court. If that means anything to you, you and I, we should be friends. You've got, I guess, some drive-in nominations for us to rip off somebody like Joe Bob, though. You do have Bud Court. You've got James Karen. You've got Karen Black. And if anything, when you come and you, you you try to tackle this movie, I think you really have to approach it with just, and it's such a shitty way to review a movie, you have to approach it with a fun angle because that's all this movie really is good for. This is a great thunderstorm on a Thursday night popcorn movie. There's nothing really exceptional about it. Toby Hooper is talented. I mean, I, I really... Well, the style is off the charts in the movies. Like, as far as just, like, visual direction goes, Toby Hooper was a master in this film. It's fucking beautiful. It's just that script and just certain choices that were made that kind of turned the whole thing topsy-turvy. And it comes down to, I think uh, both of us have capitalized and spoken about this a lot, it really just attempts to, with one character, this is what I don't really understand, is you've got Hunter Carson, and he's... Why is he the only character that's so 1950s? And I mean, James Karen kind of is, but he's still some cigar-chomping James Karen. I don't think he's a great character actor, but he put on a James Karen performance every time. It was very similar. What you're seeing in this movie is pretty much the same guy he played in Return, Return of the Living Dead. Dead. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not a huge fucking difference. 
And it's it's like I you buried that. the body, you move the headstones, but you left the alien bodies. It's the same thing. Everything, every single time. And it's it's like I I mean I, I hate giving a this is supposed to be our super fun everything's amazing Halloween special so it's like oh why the fuck did you guys want to do this movie because it's fun it it really is an enjoyable film it's, it's worth a watch most definitely it's not something you can just like ah disregard this one no I think you should all definitely watch it it's just more of uh, it fails a vibe check on what it makes me feel at the end of the day. It doesn't fill me with like a bunch of joy. It doesn't overall just like, Oh man, it's such a good movie. It does fill me with man. That movie is visually beautiful. And a lot of the um, art direction and sets are things to behold. I think oddly for me, one, one big connection is you, you, you don't really get to see a huge performance from Timothy bottoms or Lorraine Newman, but the Lorraine Newman mother character really reminded me of my mom. And that was the big connecting thing of like, yeah, wow. I remember being that age and playing with my mom and robots and sci-fi neat. And then the movie goes on for another 90 minutes. (laughs) It it has something to offer. And I guess it really comes down onto what your interests are. But with this piece, I, I do recommend deeply checking out the original film. The only problem at hand here is Wade Williams, uh, the guy that produced and was responsible for the first movie and is the rights owner, let this movie, the 1986, be created. Apparently, his company, his corporation that still owns the rights is very, very stringent with this, and there hasn't been a quality Blu-ray or DVD in quite some time. And when you go to look it up, there was a what, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, put this out on Blu-ray. It's like $90, $100. And the DVDs, like, or, yeah, the original DVD uh, is like 100 130 bucks. Makes it very hard to enjoy films like this. And it's maybe not the greatest thing to say to the audience, but there are ways to find it. YouTube. Just go to YouTube. And you might be able to find, you know, movies like this here and there, but don't tell anyone because apparently it's not cool to watch movies from 1953 without paying for it. I don't know. I just looked up the Screen Factory Blu-ray is currently $139 on eBay. Yeah, so it makes it very, very difficult to enjoy movies like this, and that's a whole different show for another day talking about the market and why things like this are happening. Uh, which is a shame because these are really, really fun movies. I don't even know about Blood Freak. I don't know what you would do about finding that. You need to the watch. rights holders have got to be a fucking disaster on a lot of stuff like that. It's just who the fuck knows who owns half this shit at this point. I mean, I, I, I guess I just have to tell the audience you need to watch these movies the same way I, Alexander Nash, and I saw them for the first time 20 years ago. Fucking bootleg them or find a bootleg. I don't know who's going to be hurt from you bootlegging Blood Freak. <laughs> I, I really don't know who's going to be damaged from that. I'm pretty sure... Hell, everyone, even Brad Grintner's son is dead, so... Everyone involved is dead. Invaders from Mars. Toby Hooper's not getting a check, so who the fuck cares? You know, Karen's not... Nobody is. James Karen, Karen Black. Uh, nobody's getting paid for this movie. Find a way to see it. Happy Halloween. We're not even at Halloween yet. We're on week... Three of our Monster Month extravaganza. On the next episode, we're going to be entering the 1990s and the dreaded 2000s. So that will certainly be something. (laughs) Well, if uh, we are currently um, solidified on one of the picks, it's going to be fucking bumpy. (laughs) I guess the hint we'll let the audience know is that Dwayne Whitaker's in it. It (laughs) 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 It could be so much... And it's not Hobgoblins. It's not Pulp Fiction either, you know? So there's a fucking... How would we angle Pulp Fiction as a monster movie? Oh, a foot monster created it. There we go. Foot jokes. That's original. Tarantino foot jokes. Yeah, this is the end of the episode. I'm out of material. I'm making fun of Tarantino. That's how we know we have to end an episode of Death by DVD. So next week, Monster Month continues because we have nothing else to do. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. I think it's time to go eat some turkey heroin.
end of Monster Month. It will be a clean sweep of monster movies from the 1990s and 2000s. <laughs> Next week on Sweep Show. DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. And now our national anthem. Follow them on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Instagram today.